Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. House of Almerine Radio. Yep. That's where you're at in case you're confused. That's a public service announcement before we start and then you get all intoxicated with Almerine Radio and lose your shit, okay? So, you're welcome, by the way. Um, Tuesday, April 13th, in the year of our Lord... 2021. Now, I have to tell you this. I do a seminar. I do it now. I'm doing a couple of them. One is an ongoing one with people that have been in the seminar and completed it. And I did that last night. And I have to tell you, man, I like. I. After I got done last night, I was just like, happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, 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 right? I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy shit. And and, and, and let me tell you the crazy, the, the craziest part of that, this, okay? Um, the wonderful, crazy part of my life now and this in particular, okay? So, this group starts in January, I think. Yeah, I think towards the end of January. And runs to the end of February, March. Yeah. And then towards the end of the this seminar, and what the seminar does is every week it goes, you know, we, we watch a segment of post-traumatic winning, then we talk about it. And there's a couple weeks thrown in at the end to talk about some other stuff, okay? And so then they say, yeah, this can't end. And I'm like, huh? And they're like, yeah, this can't. This is, like, good in my life, okay? It's changing my life, okay? So, I mean, I don't need any encouragement on that cue, right? The cue McNamara, okay. So we'll meet once a week. We'll see what happens. Yes. All right. So I've gotten to know these people over the course of, you know, now three months. And 
I have to tell you, it's absolutely amazing um, to watch people change in front of your eyeballs. And these people, most of them women, um, these people, first of all, they're funny, okay? Most of them have lived with this shit for decades. And now they see a path, and now they're beginning to help other people. And it, and every one of them would, would look at you and say, I never thought, I never, ever, ever thought my life could be like this, ever. And uh, <laughs> you hear stories, right? And so um, um, one woman who lost her husband, here in the last couple of years and has, you know, and, and when you hear her talk about her husband, you know, not everybody stays in love throughout their marriage, throughout their life, you know, for a lot of people. And that's kind of of an interesting thing, right? Um, you know, you become companions and housemates and stuff, but the romance long since gone. Um, but some people don't lose that. And when you hear her talk, that's what she'll say to you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, so we, we were talking last, last night, and I, it, it was we didn't have a guest or a topic. It was just kind of open phones, open mic, right? And so I started asking questions, and, and people started answering and talking, and that sp- spurred different conversations. But So she said, you know, she was talking about, you know, her life now. And um, and so then I asked a question to the group. Like, so I'm just curious, how long does the significant trauma in your life go back? And she's funny, right? She says, fuck, my parents dealt cocaine. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're like, woo, what? And you're listening, and um, she says, you know, there's good and bad to that. You know, the good side as a kid, like as a teenager, you get everything you want because there's all kinds of money. The bad side, obviously, is the craziness that goes with it. And she's continuing to talk, and then she says, she says, and then my dad went to prison. And you're like, like, and she goes, and that's a pretty shitty experience. She says, you talk about humiliating. And I said, well, did you go visit him? And she says, fuck, Mac, I'm a good daughter. Of course I did. <laughs> I did. And then she says, oh, my God, you talk about humiliating. But anyway, I just want to share with you, when you look at people who've done this for decades, and, and they would say, I've done this for over 50 years. I've done this for 40 years. I've done this for 30 plus years. And that's, and there's so much of it out there. And you see the emotion in them as their life has changed. Um, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I, like I, I say, uh, I used to say good on top of 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 good. Don't say that anymore. 
It's great on top of great, on top of great, on top of great, on top of great, on top of great. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, last night, an absolutely uh, uh, cool on top of cool on top of cool on top of great on top of cool on night. So, anyway, um, Grant Newsom's going to join us here in about 10 minutes. The, um, you know, we read what a racist nation we, we, we live in. I live in Southern California. In Huntington Beach, there was flyers put out. And I guess in a few communities around the country, I guess the same thing happened. About a for White Lives Matter uh, demonstration, but nobody showed up, right? Nobody showed up. So what what, what does that tell you about this incredibly divided racist nation we live in? That might be a bullshit narrative being shoved down your throat as people you know use it to accumulate power. Okay. And so um, I just thought I would mention that. Uh, I just thought I would mention that. And this incredibly racist we nation we live in that happens to be the most, desert, most diverse and the land of opportunity for everybody, the great melting pot of the world, somehow or other has convinced itself it's the most racist, racist nation in the world. Things that don't fit, though. It wasn't a white cop that... A white male cop that shot, accidentally, evidently, shot a black man in uh, Minneapolis. Again, Minneapolis. What the fuck is going on with that police department? Think about this. The Fernando Castile thing. Remember him? He was the guy in the passenger seat who said, hey, man, I've got a concealed carry permit. I've got a gun. And you hear the cop losing his shit, right? He's got his hands forward. The cop's losing his shit, screaming, panicking, and he shoots him and kills him. Remember that? Another police incident in Minneapolis, right? This is a woman thinks there's a sexual assault going on in the alley behind her house. She calls the police. Police cruiser rolls up at the entrance of the alley. She comes out of her house. She's walking towards the cop on the driver's side. He's got his window down. His partner pulls his pistol out while he's inside the car and shoots the woman walking up who's unarmed, shoots her in the abdomen, and kills her. That in Minneapolis. Okay. You have the George Floyd thing in Minneapolis, and you have the um, this event. I thought I grabbed my taser. If you look at the body cam footage, and again, the first thing I'm going I'm to say to everybody out there, if the cops show up, just fucking cooperate and you'll live. Okay? And, and, and again, this thing doesn't happen Except that young man decides he's going to fight the police officer. Okay? Now, I don't know what the fucking problem is. You know, I don't have the investigation in front of me. I don't know what his background is or anything, why he would do that. But he decides he's going to fight the cop. And she runs around. I don't know how the fuck she... If somebody like this panics in this situation, how the fuck did she get promoted? 
But anyway, that's a different issue. And she gets confused which thing she has in her hand? Good God. And she kills him. But it's a white woman, not a white man. So it doesn't feed the narrative again. Okay? So, again, data points that you don't see in the news. White lives matter, nobody shows up. Right? The handful of people that showed up are what? Dropped on their head at birth crew. The idiots among us. That all get animated by what? The internet and our digital age. So they can connect. They can raise money. They can do things they would have never been able to do when they were sitting in their basement playing video games years ago. Okay? The world we live in. And then that sensationalism, nobody shows up to these rallies, and those headlines are national headlines. So, anyway. Um, I thought I would mention that to you. The um, I wanted to talk about something in the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal, and we'll talk about it with Grant, but the Wall Street Journal has an interesting article in it today. And um, China's message to America, we're an equal now. President Xi is confronting the Biden administration with a new worldview that Beijing's decades of not challenging the U.S. as a global leader are over. So the Chinese worldview, different. So we'll talk to Grant about that uh, here momentarily. But good morning. Um, Happy to be with you. I'm Mike McNamara, and this makes it official. And this is dedicated to um, the group uh, that I uh, hung out with last night. Um, Jeff Graham and a bunch of women. (laughs) And uh, I can't tell you um, how cool it is to watch people transcend terrible, terrible, terrible life incidents. And to watch it happen is the coolest thing going. So this is dedicated to that group of people. Thank you for including me in your life. And God bless all of you.
You're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think. And you don't say it honestly and bluntly. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. For this campus had prepared him well. <clears throat> I'm very confident that, thank you very much. <clears throat> if this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Time to check the weather and then we'll get Grant Newsham on. Let me get Grant so he doesn't start sending me emails. Where are you? I'm waiting for you. Uh, I hate that shit, right? Okay, so Grant Newsham going to join us here in a minute. Currently, it is cloudy and 59 in Quantico. It is uh, down the coast at Camp Lejeune. It is partly sunny in 67. Marine Corps Base 29 Palms. It is sunny in 68 at Camp Pendleton. Clouds in 56. Camp Smith in Hawaii is uh, dark cloudy in 65. Okinawa dark cloudy 70. In Darwin it is clear dark in 79. And in Oslo, that's in Norway, it is uh, partly sunny in 48 at the home of Almarine Radio in the Southern California area. It is cloudy in 58. Looking for a high of only 63 today. And uh, with that said, joining us with a weather update from uh, Taipei is Grant Newsham. Grant, uh, good morning. What's the weather like? Oh, it's uh, hot, dark, <laughs> and uh, that's pretty close to close to it. Hot and dark. Okay. Mm-hmm. The uh, now. Is it hot like Darwin is? Because Darwin is like in the night, it's like 80 degrees at night in Darwin. Is it hot like that? No, not like Darwin. Darwin's kind of, uh, you know, it's good and hot, but Darwin is uh, something special, I think. Got it, got it. Um, What part of the year are you in? Are you in the summer, the winter, the fall? Oh, it'd be like, you know, like uh, Northern Hemisphere, so it's... Spring? Well, theoretically, but spring feels like summer. Oh, it does. And humidity there? Yeah. Yes? Um, Yes. So it's it's, it's always humid. So it's, yeah, it just gets humider and humider. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, Interesting, uh, an interesting week um, here uh, for the Biden administration. they are being challenged by Vladimir Putin 
in the Ukraine where he is making saber-rattling noises and talking about he will not allow the oppression of uh, native Russians in the Ukraine, which sounds a lot like the playbook from the Crimea, and uh, staging exercises on the border, blah, blah, blah. The uh, Germany's, I don't know, is she a president of Germany or prime minister? President, right? Angela Merkel. She has talked to Vladimir Putin, and you know he takes what she says seriously because of oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go back to Stalin's quote when he asked about you know his thoughts on what the Pope said, Stalin mm-hmm. replied, how many divisions does the Pope have? Oh, none? I don't give a shit what he said. Um, so, and then uh, and the Biden administration uh, is being poked in the chest by the Chinese right through the nation of the Philippines but with the massing of uh, uh, reportedly over 200 Chinese militia vessels. And we all know what's coming after that, right? The dredgers show up. And once they begin mm-hmm. moving, once yeah. they begin moving land, the deal is done. And so I've seen no move to confront the Chinese um, other than maybe not even a strongly worded statement. Um, so uh, some interesting stuff going on. And so, uh, Grant wrote a uh, a piece, and the piece appears in uh, in And magazine, and uh, it is uh, it's entitled "Is Indo Paycom's Admiral Aquino?" I think I said that right on a fool's errand. So, do you want to explain yourself? Um, sure. It uh, a fool's errand means um, it's. Uh... It's like you're doing something you're not going to succeed at. Let me let me illustrate that for a minute. Yeah. The the expansion of the ground war, unless you intend to stay there for a hundred years, a fool's errand. Okay, and it's sort of an old it's an old expression, but right. it still gets used now and then. Right. Uh, but what I wrote this about is because the Admiral Akidino is he's the new the new guy at uh, in you know, Paycom, and he just testified uh, before Congress, and you know he laid out what he wants to do in the region, and uh, it basically it's it's asking for some extra money so that he can set up a system of uh, a network of long range precision weapons throughout the region um, that can sort of do to the Chinese what they can do to us, and he wants to put them all over the place, and he's really asking for just a tiny bit of money. Uh, it's about Twenty-seven billion over five years, which is you know like an hour's worth of Medicaid fraud in the United States. It's not a huge amount of money, but Congress is giving him a hard time. So what I write in the piece is that you know he's got some problems here. That you know even if say Congress gives him all the well gives him the money, you know where is he going to put these things? And there's really almost nowhere in Asia that will accept. U.S. missiles that will accept U.S. forces. Uh, the the two possibilities are really just Guam and Palau, and that's just two little places in the entire region. And so you it raises the question of well, you know, how did you know? I thought you know, fifty years of exercises and you know, general officers and admirals flying around on their you know private jets to visit you know key leaders there. I thought that was supposed to get us access 
the people who would let us set up shop in their countries and take on the Chinese and maybe even join in with us. And now it turns out, well, we don't really have anybody. Uh, so that's that's a problem. Um, but then I said, well, suppose a genie comes and, and uh, you know, gave Admiral Aquilino everything he wants. He says, we've got places to put these and we're going to give you the money and we're going to get you all the weapons you need. Uh, what I suggest is that even if he did that, he still probably wouldn't win or, or he would have very bad odds. And why is that? You know, what I, you point out is while the admiral and the U.S. military are doing their best to defend America, uh, you have Wall Street, America's financial community, and America's uh, business community, the, the corporate interests. They are doing their best to provide China with the money, the technology uh, that it needs to defeat us, or in other words, to kill Admiral Aquilino's troops. And so how can you possibly win when half of your guy, your side is doing their best to beat me so that he can beat you? And that's why I've suggested that Admiral Aquilino's, uh, he's on a fool's errand uh, unless uh, Congress, and that's what it's going to take, and the president will rein in uh, Wall Street and the business class. And that doesn't seem likely to happen because quietly, uh, Wall Street and the business class, they whisper in a lot of ears in Washington, and they put a lot of money into a lot of pockets. So while Congress talks a good game, and you know they claim that they're all, all on board on the China threat, at the same time, you know, they're getting influenced, once again, by the aforementioned Wall Street and the business class, and they're taking money from them. And that hasn't stopped one bit. So unless we can fix that, and it almost doesn't matter what we do out in the Pacific or anywhere else, I would suggest. Uh, so that's the the opti- that's the cheery news for uh, for this evening or this morning. Yeah, I was going to say Dolly Downer. There's absolutely not one scintilla of uh, of an of a branch that I could jump on and and be positive with and turn this turn this <laughs> loss in, into a win. There's nobody. So let's talk. Let's talk about the nations in the region because we've talked about that before. That uh, that um, in spite of agreeing with much of uh, what uh, President Trump did while he was his administration was in office in the Pacific, his one glaring failure is uh, economic policy that would beget diplomatic relation, better diplomatic relations that would ultimately beget military relations in the Pacific Rim. So let's talk about this. Vietnam. Can Vietnam accept American troops? I mean, because, right, they're a, you know, a, a century-long animus between Vietnam and China. Uh, explain Vietnam to us. Why can't they? Well, we tried it once. <laughs> it didn't work out well, but I'm joking. But it's uh, it's different era. No and need to go Vietnam, there. Yeah, and Vietnamese, Vietnamese have always hated the Chinese, uh, although Vietnam's uh, ruling elite is like ruling elites everywhere. Is, has been A lot of them have been bought and paid for by the, the Chinese. But in general, you can say Vietnamese don't don't like them. Um, and, but that doesn't mean that Vietnam is going to willingly let the Americans come in and base troops, aircraft, or, or in what we're really talking about are these long-range missiles. Uh, there, it's, 
just not something they're going to do. One, China would really lean on them. Uh, and it, it's just not politically accept, it's something that they're ready to do. And it's going to be quite a while uh, until that. And then you go down. The so even and, so, even uh, though even even though they want to grant, they can't do it because of their proximity to China, and China would just make their life across the board miserable. That that would prohibit them. Well, well they could. So China can certainly do that. You know, no matter how tough the Vietnamese, how you know, pugnacious they are, willing right. to take on the Chinese, uh, there's a limit. Uh, plus, there is just the you know in Vietnam the idea of letting foreign troops foreign forces come in and set up uh, that's a sort of sort of a tricky it's a sensitive thing anywhere and no less in vietnam than anywhere else and vietnam certainly feels the threat from china uh, but you know letting a us aircraft carrier come visit danang danang like they did uh, a couple of years ago is one thing but letting the americans set up uh, missiles uh, sort of missile sites or have troops in in vietnam is another and that doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Got it. Okay. Across the South China Sea lies the Philippines from uh, from uh, Vietnam, a historically staunchly American at one time possession, um, and uh, and then you know in the last what thirty years a, a staunchly American ally, even though we've given them back their bases and whatnot. Uh, President Duterte gets elected, and uh, you have said that he has been uh, on the payroll of the Chinese for a long time. Uh, he comes into power, and his policies seem to reflect that. Yet lately, there's we've seen pushback by the Philippines. Uh, I think they sailed one of their frigates out, you know, into in towards the, you know towards the 200-boat flotilla, um, and that was a major move. Um, explain the Philippines to us. Oh, the Philippines, like like anywhere, you've got differing opinions. And there are a lot of people, including in the, the ruling class, who really do like America and want to get as close as possible. Um, but then you have people, especially in the in the ruling class, who... Uh, are looking for a, a better a better price, uh, and uh, many who just do resent America you know, as well. And that goes there's colonial origins for that yeah, thinking, yeah. Uh, but it's used the usual combination of sort of thought. So there's a very big pro-American element in the in the Philippines at all levels, uh, but at the same time there is opposition to the U.S. So that's why they've had a sort of communist guerrillas there for the last 50 years. You just don't hear much about them these days. Um, but the the possibility of us getting sort of forces back in into the Philippines, uh, it's not impossible. And until even during the uh, Obama administration, they were making some pretty good moves to in that direction. And then they the Obama, Obama's people absolutely blew it uh, when they let the Chinese take Scarborough Shoals, which is some Philippines. Uh, uh, they're, they're not even islands; they're just little atolls or coral reefs, really. But well within Philippine territory, uh, the Chinese came, plopped themselves down there, and pushed the Philippine fishermen out. And then, when the Philippines sent boats out there to uh, sort of challenge them, 
the U.S. State Department, um, a fellow named Kurt Campbell, who, of course, was getting his marching orders from the White House. Uh, they cut a deal with the Chinese that, uh, with and the Filipinos that both sides would leave. Um, and the Filipinos left, left. The Chinese did not. They stayed. The Americans did nothing. And the Chinese, the Philippines have felt as if they were sold out ever since then. And that was just uh, was as big a disaster for U.S. foreign policy in Asia as when we got kicked out of Vietnam in 1975. Uh, and that has that has really set us way back. So we're going to have to overcome that somehow if you want to get back into the Philippines. And if Duterte, the current president, is there, he's not going to allow it. Um, so, but you do have plenty of people who in uh, who don't like Duterte, and you know wouldn't mind having uh, the Americans show up. But the Americans would have to show some real commitment, uh, and they're going to have to make up for some lost time. And they're going to have to do some very clever uh, political work and also some economic work too. And there's no it doesn't seem as though you know we're anywhere near where we need to be with the Philippines. Uh, so we shot ourselves in the foot a few years ago, and then we'd done it in the 90s when the negotiations were so badly handled by a fellow named Richard Armitage, uh, who's a, a player uh, in D.C., that, that he just angered the Filipinos to the point that they said, OK, get out of here. A deal was to be had, um, but it was so badly, the negotiations were so badly done uh, that we uh, were kicked out in uh, 1992 or so. And that uh, is when the Chinese really started moving in. So we, our problems in the Philippines go back a long ways. Uh, it's not um, it's not that we can't recover from it, but it's going to take, we're going to, have to do something a lot differently and a lot better uh, than we have been doing it. So you know, keep in mind, of course, that we've been holding these Balikatan exercises and all sorts of things. Um, and you ask yourself, well, you know, all of this engagement throughout the region, what did it get us? Uh, it's when we really need something, it, it turns out it didn't get us all that much. Um, although every exercise was declared a success, every year PACOM's engagement plans were uh, were considered just, you know, legions of merit all around for everybody. Uh, and look, what we're, look where we are. We've got nowhere to put this stuff. So there's the Philippines. And that's actually one of the more optimistic uh, places. The um, do you see? I mean, you live in the region. Do you see? You know, I see more mixed mi signals coming out of the Philippines. At least it seems like. Um, or is this just um, window dressing as the Chinese occupy another atoll and militarize it? Well, we're going to we'll find out. You know, as, you know, you're right that there are there's plenty of people in the Philippines and people who matter. You know, who do want to get closer to the Americans. You know, who would like us to to be in there, um, but there's a lot who don't. So you have a uh, you've got to deal with that sort of um, political difficulty, uh, and I don't know that we're there yet. You know, th there's something to work with, but you know, we've you know. We, we've got some work to do. And there's no, as long as Duterte's there, uh, it's really going to be tough. And even if you do go, it's, you know, somehow the Philippines, Filipinos who support the Americans do get their work.
you know that China is going to put huge economic pressure onto the Philippines, and America had be better be better be ready in advance uh, to make up the difference and to make it a good deal uh, for them. But also, there's also some millions of Chinese in the Philippines now. Uh, Duterte relaxed the immigration laws, and, and just some millions of them have come in. They've got huge influence uh, in the society, in the economy, and the, the millions that I just talked to, these are recent arrivals. And there's no doubt uh, PLA types among them and other uh, people that you really wouldn't want in your country. So Chinese influence over the Philippines uh, is is pretty strong. So it, that's something that America is going to have to deal with as well. Um, so it, it's hard to say. And you, they are definitely watching to see what we do now that the, the Chinese have made a play for her out, out in Philippine territory once again. You know, what exactly is America going to do uh, to take on the Chinese um, to show that, uh, that we are the people that the Filipinos should go with? Uh, we did apparently have sent a sort of a carrier through in a, an ARG. Uh, an amphibious group uh, with it, and that's nice, uh, but it's uh, just one thing. So you know, we've got some lot, we've a lot of ground to make up, uh, even in the Philippines, uh, even now. And I don't think they're ready for us to put uh, missiles into their uh, into into their country yet. Okay, so as we wheel around the South China Sea and the po- possible allies that we would have that takes us down to uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Brunei. Um, do any of those, do we have any hope of, of getting into any of them? I mean, if, if, if an ally, a former ally like the Philippines that we have a traditional and longstanding relationship with, if they're not really interested because of our vacillating commitment to the region that's now not vacillating so much, uh, but may in the future, right? We, we always, you know, uh, retain the right, you know, for full spectrum vacillation. Um, does Indonesia, Malaysia, do they offer us any hope in terms of being able to put something somewhere in the region? And are there, are there, are there people, are there, let's see, the Philippines lies between, uh, let's see, um, is there anybody that lies outside the first island chain where we might place missiles? I'm, I'm grasping at straws here, Grant. Help me out. Uh, Palau is probably your only uh, immediate uh, opportunity. And they're sort of to the east of the Philippines, I don't know, what, 500 miles or so, or not too far from the, the Philippines. There's a good location, but it is just one place. So it's inside, Palau is inside the second island chain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as it's defined, I think. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's... The second it's island chain first, runs from uh, what? Japan uh, down towards Guam and then towards on the eastern side of uh, New Guinea? Sort of right through New how I would look at it. If you okay. go from Japan down through yeah, Guam, Micronesia, and then just keep going south, you'll run into uh, New Guinea, Indonesia, and all 
Got it. Australia. Okay. All right. Um, right so but I think, you know, the, 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 there's a big difference, you know, between in country and letting the U.S. Navy come around and do things with them. There's a big difference between that and letting us set up, you know, missile bases or missile launch sites in their countries, letting us put troops in there to, to run those things more than they're already doing. Uh, that's, there isn't a whole lot of uh, support for that. You know, as near as I can tell, you know, I could be missing something, but I don't think so. Um, the Indonesia's probably not, is not going to do it. The Malaysians, the Thais, um, the Cambodians, no, they're bought off by the Chinese already, even in Singapore. They're just little Singapore. Um, but they're wavering. Um, in recent years, um, and you're sort of running out of places. Um, when you, you look at this, a big it's, it's a big area with a lot of places, a lot of countries. But you know, I've named two places we might put things anytime soon. Uh, the Australians, you know, they're way down south, of course. Um, but a couple of years ago, this question was actually raised in, in public, and Australia said no, no missiles. But it, they, the way it was answered was it wasn't like no and hell no. It was like no. Um, but it was sort of left that you, you know, it, it was the potential for maybe working something out in the future. You know, they didn't completely shut the door, although it sounded like it. Um, but once again, it's you know Australia is way down. Um, still, you take what you can get. Uh, if it if it is something should be worked out, and sometimes a success somewhere will uh, give you a success somewhere else, and will you know encourage somebody else to uh, maybe join in. Um, but we, we don't have many places. Brunei is sometimes mentioned <clears throat> as a place where there is a possibility, um, and that's that tiny little place on Borneo. Um, in between Indonesia and Malaysia, sort of tucked in there. It used to have a lot of oil, so it was really rich, but it has less now. Um, and I think the British, there's even a, some Gurkhas there, as I recall, something like that. Um, so Brunei has mentioned, but, and, you know, once again, you don't turn down any opportunity, but it just highlights how few opportunities we have. And, you know, you could also say, well, what about Japan? We're already there. You know, what's the big deal with uh, if we just put in some long-range missiles? Um, Japan has lots of islands that stretch way down um, towards uh, down to the south. And it's, you know, it's a lot of places to put them. But politically, that would just be incredibly sensitive uh, to do that. And I think the Japanese would not go for it um, until probably until it's too late, which means China has taken some of their territory. But the Philippines, or the, excuse me, Japan, you know, that's not an option. Uh, South Korea, that's unlikely. Um, so where, you know, where are you going to put it? And this is, so this is Admiral Aquilino's scheme is to place these weapons all over the region. Um, and it also kind of resembles the, the Commandant of the Marine Corps' plan for putting Marines in places all over the region with the, their missiles. Um, well, you know, Who's going who's gonna to let them in? Uh, that is something that should have been considered a long time ago, and it wasn't. Or if it was, it was rejected. And, and you know, But once again, legions of merit all around for 
40 years. Uh, you know, just speaking of the Marines, you know, give it a Marine feel to it. It was probably, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, you know, it was obvious that the Marines, despite decades of doing uh, exercises all over the, the region with the Mew, Mew and the Ard going all over and doing ex- you know, exercises for, with everyone forever, uh, there was nobody with whom they could do a real-world short-notice uh, operation. Nobody. Uh, you know, and this, after all these years, when we were supposedly developing our partner nation amphibious capabilities, uh, well, we didn't have anything. And so there was a, a scheme put together. Um, I was behind it, uh, saying, "Well, look, you know what we can do is why don't we take, say, a half dozen good young marine officers and put them in, you know, get them into, say, six select countries." for starters, throughout the region, and have them influence, have them sell the idea of amphibious capability, get the local uh, forces the lo- and the local political class to understand the usefulness of them and you know, to want to have something to do with us and even to make it easier for us to operate there and to develop their own forces. Uh, and I was told in no uncertain terms, in fact, probably one of the most unprofessional display I have seen from a Marine officer ever uh, at Barfor Pack, that the Marine Corps did not have six officers to spare on active duty or in the reserves for this, and that this was a stupid idea, and it went nowhere. So that is simply magnified up the up, uh, sort of over to PACOM, and pretty much typifies how the Americans uh, address the, the possibility of really needing to get into some of these places. Uh, and actually do this work. Um, it just, we should have done better, and I don't think we're where we need to be right now. So, 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 so what more is, more cheerful it, it, no, yeah, it's really, it's really bad. So, I, I, when you look at the, does Admiral Aquilino, Aquilino, does he have any footnotes to which he bases this plan? Okay, so we'll procure the missiles, and then we're going to stick them all in Palau? We're going to divide them between Palau and Guam? Um, that where we start? Um, we we need to have an engagement plan? Is he calling for that? Is there anything that goes with this that gives it any semblance of of hope? You know, I don't know. You know, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm one of these guys in the the peanut gallery in the cheap seats who's, you know, weighing in. Uh, I don't know. He has a big staff and a lot of them are very good. And I'm sure they know what the the situation is. Um, But I don't think they were keeping score all those years. Uh, So I don't know how they're going to overcome this. Um, You know, maybe there's a way it can be done without actually setting foot on land anywhere. Um, I don't know. You know, hopefully there's some smart guys trying to figure it out. Um, but in terms of like actual terra firma, of actual land where you can put uh, these uh, weapons and people to service them and operate them, well, that it looks like a very short list. Um, but once again, you know, he's you know, he, he's you know, he's they, up at Paycom. There's plenty of people who know what they're doing. Um, I just hope they've got some way they figured this out. You know, I don't know exactly how that would be, but it is, you know, a little, you know, I can certainly describe what the situation is and what 
you know, you know, sort of how we got here. Um, but in terms of the the efforts steps which are being taken being taken to uh, overcome these problems, you know, that's you know, I have to assume that you know we have good people working on it uh, who are got some you know going to come up with something. Well, wait a minute. What what in what in the world would give you any reason to say such a thing? Well, I feel obligated to do it, um, but also the uh, no, but also there are good people, you know, up at you know up at Paycom, you know, and Pack Fleet, etc. Uh, they just haven't been listened to, uh, I think, much of the time. And there's any number of reasons not to listen to them, but there's always been very good people up there, you know, permanently and and coming through. Uh, and you know, I've seen that, you know, so it, it's not, you know. It's, as if, oh, they're all idiots. But no, there are very good people that just never been listened to. And you know, I was thinking, you know, because you had Admiral Aquilino and uh, his predecessor, Admiral Davidson, both testified recently about uh, the Chinese threat. And they described it, I thought, this described it well. They had sized up the threat. They had sized up Chinese intentions and capabilities, etc. And this was something that you never heard before. You know, it was this was almost the not the first time Admiral Willard uh, back in 2010ish or so he was saying those things, and he was of course persona non grata in Washington D.C. Um, but generally speaking, you know, this has never been said, and so you have the the current uh, commanders at Indo PACOM saying these things, and the thing to remember is that the the intelligence for this, the an- analysis. This was available at least a decade ago, probably 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. So the information's always been there. It's just people chose not to uh, to listen to it, and that is something to keep in mind. That it, so there were there were very good people up there who tried to sound the alarm, and not just to pay compact fleet as well uh, comes to mind, and they just weren't listened to. And some cases they were threatened with being fired, and at least in one case they pretty much were. And that is how we got to where we are today. It isn't as if Leprechaun suddenly. Hey, uh, hey, hey, hey! We Irish don't take the mocking of our cultural icons well. Okay, Okay. just so you know. And uh, and and it's early in the day, right? So most (laughs) of us are sober. The um, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't mean to stereotype. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. And then I sent Grant this article. I saw in the Wall Street Journal last night. Um, China's message to America, we're an equal now. President Xi is confronting the Biden administration with a new worldview that Beijing's decades of not challenging the U.S. as a global leader are over. Now, I just want to frame this for everybody. Chinese defense spending in 2021 will be between $200 billion and $300 billion. American defense spending is two and a half times that, okay? Um, And so China uses all weapons in this war, and they've been doing it pretty efficiently for a while now. And the United States does not. And it's been very poor at it for a while now. And so, Grant... um, Tell me what you think about 
about the Wall Street Journal article that what we saw live on TV up in Alaska is really maybe the opening salvo of China delivering a message to the Biden administration is we're not afraid of you. We now regionally, specifically, we outnumber you and we're more powerful in the region and we will no longer accept you know, your line of bullshit. And globally, we won't take a backseat to you either. So I'm curious your thoughts on it. They do seem to think that. And when you say they, there's a lot of Chinese, but at that ruling class level, uh, that's certainly, I think they, they think it and they're acting like it for sure. And it does resonate with a large part of the Chinese population, it appears. Uh, so this really needs to be taken seriously. And so you saw that on display, the, the, the arrogance, the, the venom, uh, the vindictiveness, this uh, just desire to destroy us. Uh, the, you saw it. And it, as I say, it's not just some you know, Asians acting up. You know, you'd be, we'd better take this seriously. Uh, and as you said, it just said it's not just in the region. It's uh, they see it as a global uh, effort. And if you look at where the Chinese are, and not just the military, but rather the, the commercial interests, the, the physical presence, um, it's almost everywhere. And they are playing it very well, you know, using the uh, particularly the economics and com- commerce as a, uh, as a as a weapon, as a tool to get set up to get influence, to win win people over, and eventually to just sort of squeeze us out of all sorts of places, you know, to have the Chinese be seen as the more desirable partners. Uh, and so it is a global effort that they're about. You know, one thing to keep, a couple of things to keep in mind um, is that the, the Chinese defense budget is, in fact, unlimited. You often hear that figure that you just cited, $250 billion, et cetera. But it is unlimited. Uh, they will spend everything it takes. And I think they just put those figures out to sort of to keep the Americans happy so we have some frame of reference. But it, it, it understates the, the figure um, by many, many times. Uh, you know, if China, so you China, don't think so. So China, I just looked it up. 202 U.S. by U.S. dollars billion that the Chinese are spending on defense, that represents a 7% increase over their 2020 budget. And that's according to, I don't know, someplace.org blog analysis, blah, 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 blah. How about if I use a CSIS number? Understanding um, they use the same number. Um, 6.8% increase, uh, blah, 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 blah. So... um, and then it's calculated as a percentage of GDP, and that's how you get the percentage and in terms of dollars as well. Um, but you don't buy that. You don't buy that number. Not at all. Uh, in fact, I wrote about this uh, a month or two ago um, that you know this is it's crazy to actually try to to think this way. Um, you know, suppose China has decided, for example, say you know we need to. You know, we need to have this many ships so, and so that we can defeat the Americans. And, you know, they are currently cranking them out at about four uh, hulls for every one we're producing. And they, you know, you know, they don't get fleeced on it by their defense industry either. Um, and so suppose that, you know, when this decision gets made, 
say, at the Central Military Commission. We need all this stuff to beat the Americans. Do you think that cost is any object to them? Uh, you know, I was, I'm no, thinking it's, no. It's not. And how do they get the money? Do they have to go to Congress and get an appropriation? No, uh, no. they print it out. They just print their money. So if they can pay for it in Chinese money, they've got all they need. And, and then the beautiful part that you, that you talked about earlier yeah. is Wall Street's going to then come in behind and fund it. Well, yeah, if you need, say, foreign technology, you need to buy iron ore from wherever, uh, these things to make your stuff, and, and that you have to pay in real money. And, well, if, Was if Wall Street and U.S. industry and Western industry is putting in, say, two, three hundred billion a year, well, that's a nice uh, sort of, that's money you can use for this stuff. And, you know, if you need money to buy, uh, buy out, say, um, a port, or you know, do what's necessary to basically buy a port somewhere around the world near some choke point, well, you need real money. Thank you very much, Wall Street and U.S. corporate interests. Um, but the, so the point is with that, that when you think of the Chinese defense budget, um, you know, don't think of it in the way the Ameri we do. Um, it is literally unlimited, and they will build and buy whatever it takes to defeat us. Uh, so that's, I say, is part of the equation here. It's one of the reasons why they do feel so, uh, you know, certain about that their superiority, the, the idea that, well, they've got us now. Um, and, you know, you do, then you look at us, you know, we're, you know, we, we can't build an amphib ship for less than like $2 billion uh, and like five years. The Chinese can put one together in six months almost. Uh, and and their shipbuilding capability, it, you look at it, and it kind of reminds you of us during World War II. Yes. And what are we now? You know, we don't even have these shipyards. Uh, so they've they've feeling pretty good about themselves in some respect. I, I think um, there's some who believe it, but there's others in China. But there's others who I think do have some doubts, but they're acting the part. Um, you know, I've if always if well, it does seem as though you know they're on a roll, and we seem as though we are doing our best to. I'd say destroy ourselves. That, and I say us. I'd say part of our ruling class and part of our society is doing their best to destroy the the country that most of us do want to save. Um, that the Chinese do think they've sort of got an edge on us. Um, but you have to keep in mind that China's per capita income is about you know what is it? It's like um, Paraguay. Um, it's still not. You know, if you get there, if you go to China and you get beyond, say, Shanghai and Shenzhen, the real shiny places, it's like a, it looks like really crappy. I mean, it's like a poor place. Does um, that matter anymore, though? Because the power they can project from their shiny places is eclipsing um, ours, right? I mean, and, and well, it, everybody it, it, I know that goes on Codels says that, what yeah. you just said, Grant, that, that, you know, when you get outside of their major cities, you go back in time 200 years, not 100, 200, right? Yeah. yeah. Plus, you know, I've always thought that, you know, countries were like people who are not manifestly insane, like crap in the street. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's got some problems. And so the point is that, that there's sort of that one expression a guy like is used. He says, you know, the Chinese, it's, you think of that expression, fake it till you make it. Um, so the, the point is that they've got some real problems of their own. Right. Um, but as you've noted, that if you can get the coercive elements, 
you know, if you can sort of get the, even despite your problems, if you can get your military power right, if you can use your economic uh, influence right, um, you know, you use your resources in the right way, that you can give sort of a more advanced, a more civilized, a more modern country all the problems they want. You know, you look back through history. I, you, know, you think of the Mongols when they showed up in Europe. You know, some of the European countries were pretty sophisticated and, uh, back then, and the Mongols were the Mongols, right. yet nobody could stop them. Right. Uh, so we you don't want to dismiss the Chinese, but at the same time, you want to, uh, to keep it in perspective. And, and, yeah. hope, and hopefully we can get our wits about us, and, we, and the other civilized countries can as well. And if they can somehow get their acts together and cooperate in the right ways, and if you could, like, you know, get Wall Street and uh, much of our corporate class to look at their passports and see what what country's name is on it and just act like patriots or not not act like Quislings, put it that way. I'm referring to Vidkun Quisling, uh, the, the famous Norwegian traitor in World War II who, um, you know, gave who that is where the name comes from. Um, just get them to stop acting like Quislings that, you know, we have a chance uh, is how I would put it. Um, and the one, you know, I've heard it described as, with the Chinese and this recent, you know, this, um, like the story said, they, they don't, they're not afraid of us anymore. They, they say our, they're our equals. That all their behavior in recent times, it's had an effect actually of waking people up. And someone described it as, you know, like, you know, if you've ever done a running race, you know, you're saving something for your kick. You know, if you, if you start it too fast and the other, you know, too soon, the other guys see what's coming and they can they can adjust and take off and then you're left with you know rubbery legs and burning lungs and the Chinese may have uh, started their kick too soon that would be an optimistic way of looking at it and they just might have um, and it really is going to depend on the the civilized world whether it can can uh, get its act together the um Here's what I find head-scratching, Grant. So the Trump administration calls out the Chinese, and, and as you said often on this program, for the first time in decades, if ever, relative to China, because, you know, if you go back to the elder Bush, you know, the more they're integrated into the world's economy, they're going to become this moderate socialist nation, blah, 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 blah. That does not happen. We begin to play America, uh, the emperor's new clothes under his son and even Bill Clinton after him as the Chinese don't don't seem to be liberalizing as a nation. Uh, Barack Obama straight up sticks his head in the sand as they take over, right, um, various atolls in the South China Sea. And now we have uh, Mr. Trump calls him out and then Mr. Biden Right, he appoints Anthony Blinken. Blinken uses his confirmation hearing to talk about uh, the Muslims in the northwestern region of Xinjiang Province, right, uh, and call it genocide. Uses the word genocide in his confirmation hearing. Well, that's a signal to everybody that this thing ain't going to get rolled back. The Americans are not coming with an olive branch, and this is a this is a problem. What I don't see from the Biden administration is any 
um, great overture, Pacific overture that's formulating, you know, we're going to have a conference, blah, 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 nothing. Cricket, 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 cricket that would signal to our allies in the Pacific or at least the people that are kind of evaluating the United States and saying, you know, we would really like to cozy up to you and the Western powers and those big economies you have. You guys got to throw us a bone here, man. We've got this big fucking Doberman chewing on our ass and, and you guys are like seven yards away waving to us. Okay. Help us out. And Grant, there's been nothing, nothing. I, I and, and I don't get this. And that contribu- that continues the Trump administration's silence on an economic overture to nations in the region. And I would think not just by the United States, but by the United States, the UK, the EU, and the free nations of the world whose GDP is four times that of, of China's. What, why, why haven't we seen some kind of economic overture? I don't know. It, uh, either with, with the, the Trump administration either. Um, partly it's uh, you know, the opposition from the aforementioned corporate class doesn't didn't want to get the Chinese mad uh, at them and threaten their prospects for selling one of something to every person in China. Uh, it's and also the U.S. government is and if you and the people in it they're not really good at business. Um, and so the idea of them weaponizing or using America's financial and and corporate sort of strengths to uh, sort of help our friends to exert influence in a region. Uh, they just kind of don't know how to go about it. There are some people who do uh, that I, I know, but in general, the you know, State Department types are good at writing reports and debating. Um, but to actually and you know get our, say, harness our economic strength to you know, do what we've just been talking about, it just hasn't been done in any useful way. There's been a couple initiatives that were announced a few years ago and they always start off with a nice press conference where everyone pats themselves on the back and then nothing happens or at least not that anyone notices Um, i did see one optimistic sign that just a couple weeks ago that i saw an article that it looks like the japanese and the americans may be cooperating in a regional sort of infrastructure development effort and this would be a good thing uh, if they could do it, and I don't know what will come of it, but that would that would be a useful thing. And this always has to be, you know, is seen really as of almost as much importance as having the military strength right. uh, to take on China. But we just haven't done it. And you know, if Wall Street and you know American businesses think they're going to make a ton of money in China, they're not all that interested in this stuff. And plus, these days you have a problem is that American business guys don't want to go somewhere where there isn't a five-star hotel and a guaranteed return on investment for something you do. So somehow it's going to take uh, – really the U.S. government has got to figure this out. Um, if you don't, you know, you're going to find that the Chinese commercial presence throughout the region in the most remote places, uh, and not just in the region – in Asia, if you're almost you – know, Africa, Latin America, etc. It's going to be the thing that kind of just makes us almost irrelevant, uh, and if we're not careful, so we've got. Well, some, again, some that's what again that's what I don't understand, Grant. If if you think China is your greatest, you know, strategic threat, 
then it would it would seem to me that it would be important that you know you know to a marshal your allies in order for you know as a precursor to marshaling our allies boys and girls guess what we're going to have to do we are going to have to uh, we're going to have to create an economic situation uh, that rivals anything that the Chinese can do. Okay, and that is going to be a precursor for any engagement. Uh, that doesn't seem like, I mean, even a public school graduate, like, you know, can can understand that. Like, yeah, okay, I got it. We got to make it, you know. We got to make it, you know, economically viable for them to to be able to do this. I got it. Okay, let's do it. I, and it, it just doesn't seem like whether it be the Trump administration or now the Biden, you know, it, it, I don't know how you I, I don't know how you overlook that. I don't know. It's uh, people will, you know, you, of course, you talk to the people who are responsible for overlooking it. They will, of course, tell you they didn't. Yes. Um, or that it was Trump's fault or Bush's fault, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we, it's, it is just a huge failing. I don't know how we're going to overcome it. You know, I was talking to a fellow who knows you know, Djibouti very well, the, you know, where Camp Lamounier is right. in the, right. you know, the sort of Middle East-ish. Um, and, you know, when the Marines first got in there, uh, they were offered – the, the head of the, the head of the country offered the Americans just a, a sweetheart deal to take over the basically the whole port. You know, we would have had you know run of the place, and at a at cost us very little at all. And instead, U.S. State Department, U.S. government didn't just drop the ball; they sort of you know spat on it and then kicked it over the fence. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with that. And so we could have had Djibouti, and now what you, we said we don't, and what you have is the Chinese are there. Uh, and but it's, so this has been going on for a while, right. and we I don't know what it is, but you know to get uh, just a theory, and nobody will you know every, the people who I'm talking about will of course complain, but you know to be a, in the foreign service, it's not like you have ever had to run a hot dog stand on 14th and K Street. Right. You've managed to learn a lot of facts that let you to pass the foreign service exam. But the, generally, you say most of the people handling foreign policy in the U.S. are not business people. And you need more of those to, to actually get stuff done. Uh, and, you know, we, how this is going to get fixed, I don't know. Um, but it's, uh, we've certainly identified the problem, but, you know, if we, I don't know. Right, I think like, so I'm going to surrender, actually. Uh, well, that, that's the, the hope, right? That's the hope, that, that they never fire a shot, yeah. that this will all happen by mm -hmm. nature. Taiwan will be surrendered to them, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I saw something last week, and it made me think of you, that I, and I wrote myself a note to make, make sure you ask Grant this uh, the next time he comes on, and that is this. The, the digital currency thing. How significant is that? And I saw it in, in light of, you know, the United States needs to, um, needs to, you know, formulate its own digital currency plan because the Chinese, you know, this is going to shock everybody, have weaponized this, all of this. Um, so talk to me about the digital currency plan. What is, uh, 
Uh, give me your thoughts on that. Um, hmm. It's it's a problem, but it's part. It it's a, sort of represents a sort of a big issue, and that is that really the only thing that we have of real leverage over the Chinese now is the U.S. dollar, because uh, to do business globally, you have to have U.S. dollars or access to them, and by threatening to withhold them or reduce reduce the amount that China can get access to, that is the one big club we still have. So China knows this, and they've you know, said it publicly as well, that they want to do something about this. And they have got to come up with some alternative to the U.S. dollar that people around the world actually have some confidence in or want to use. Right. And that's one way to look at this digital currency. Thing. So that's the one way digital currency and, usurps their dependence on the dollar. That's one way to look at it. Say you could get some other people, say some other countries to accept payment for things in Chinese currency. You know, say right. that it's, it's part of that effort. It's also, there's an aspect of control there that if your money is electronic, uh, you can cut off people's money anytime you want. Right. So that's part of it. But it's also to say as part of this effort to create an alternative to the U.S. dollar. Um, that isn't all that easy because, you know, everybody knows that, you know, anytime the Chinese government wants to uh, take your money or do something with the, with their own currency, say, make it worthless, um, they can do it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with actual um, sort of actual financial practices or financial laws, etc. Right. Um, but that's one way to look at it is this effort to, to displace the dollar. Uh, we, of course, are doing our best to make the dollar less less valuable uh, with this spending we're doing. You know, we're so China, we're doing China's job for them. You know, if you keep printing money the way we are, uh, it's called debasing the currency. It's, there's just so much of it that it becomes like monopoly money, uh, and that is a very scary thing. And once people lose confidence in the U.S. dollar, it's gone because uh, that's the only thing that. It really is the basis of uh, is money is people are confident in it, uh, that it's worth something. And if they don't think it is or that it's worth less because there's just so much of it being printed and there's no sign that anyone's going to stop, uh, that this is very, very dangerous, not to mention the fear of inflation, which few young people remember. Right. Um, but uh, so we're doing our best to destroy our own uh, currency and our economy. Um, will we stop in time? I don't know. Uh, but uh, the Chinese would sorely love us to carry on uh, doing that. And but that is the, really that's the last thing that they really need. You know, if they could get get that threat of ours, uh, then there would almost be nothing to stop them. So the digital currency does need to be uh, watched uh, carefully as part of other efforts China's making too. Um, sort of take down the dollar. Interesting. All right. Well, this has been fairly, um, you know, you uh, you originated the term cautiously pessimistic. Uh, I think you're, we're, we're beyond that. Uh, blatantly pessimistic? Um, I don't know another, I mean, what I loved about cautiously pessimistic was its subtle, <laughs> its subtle brilliance. But we're beyond subtlety now, right? Yeah, I'm kind of worried. 
actually. And that's what they, the Wall uh, Street and that's what the Wall Street Journal yeah. uh, uh, opinion piece talks about, and it's a pretty lengthy piece. It talks about you know the Chinese for decades. Was it was it Chairman Zheng? Uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, don't speak loudly and whatever the hell he said. Um, and uh, the Chinese are, are, are they're shedding that right. Um, it looks that way. It says <laughs> he's quoted as saying, "Keep a low profile and bide your time." Well, it seems like Chairman Xi has decided that we've bided our time long enough, and we won't do that anymore. And yeah, so, well, they've actually, yeah, that's what that's what's going on. And they'd actually, it's not the first time they've done it. Um, actually, when was it in the 2010s before she came? Uh, they had something called the charm offensive going, and they was all smiles and you know, we're a threat to nobody, et cetera, et cetera. And it was working. And they just couldn't help themselves. And I think it was after the financial collapse in 2008, they started baring their fangs. And that woke a lot of people up. If they could have just kept it going five more years, they'd have gotten everything they wanted. As uh, We'd have been kicked out of Asia by the people in Asia because they were claiming there was no need for us to be there. And even America was keen to disarm. Uh, in face of a Chi- a, you know, the non-existent Chinese threat, but they couldn't help themselves. So this isn't the first time uh, they've they've jumped the gun. Um, and I'm hoping we um, have. Yeah, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, a couple of intelligence questions. Um, what do you make of uh, the Russian-Ukraine thing? Is that uh, more Putin attention-getting, I'm relevant on the continent or someplace? Um, do you make anything of that? Do you believe that Vladimir Putin has eyes on the Ukraine or at least part of it? Uh, yeah, I do. I take it very seriously uh, what's going on there and what he has in mind. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Chinese and him were uh, – uh, sort of cooperating to some extent. Uh, and then don't forget North Korea uh, as, as well. Uh, the, you get three things going at once, and that can make it very hard for us and for others to respond to it. So I do take what's going on in Ukraine very seriously. All right. What about the, the other incident over the weekend? Um, was uh, somehow or other... There was some kind of fire and possibly explosion in the centrifuge system uh, in a place called Natanz in Iran. Fingers being pointed at the Israelis. What? And if you read Israeli reporting on the issue, it was message sending from the Israelis to the Iranians saying, hey, we're already inside of your system. Okay. We're telling you not to go past certain red lines. Um, I'm curious, what, what do you make of all that? Um, I, it was either the Israelis or leprechauns. And, uh, <laughs> they're one of those. Um, so if leprechauns exist, then, well, maybe it was them. But I think it's probably the Israelis. Uh, the Israelis are worried because uh, this Biden administration is has got anti-Semites all over the place. And unfortunately, they're handling Iran policy, handling Middle East policy. Uh, and the Israelis are are really worried from what I hear. 
and I don't blame them. Um, this is back to the Obama administration where it, these, you have people with this just visceral hatred of Israel, uh, some would say of Jewish people. And this is not going to play out well. This is a very different, dangerous situation. And don't think the Israelis haven't noticed and don't think that they're, that they're going to play rough if they need to. Um, and I don't blame them. It's, you know, read the backgrounds, the statements of some of the people that have been put into positions of authority in this administration. And it is, it's scary. And if I was the Israelis, I would definitely be be getting greased up. Uh, you know, you hate to say this because you know how stupid can human beings be? You know, we're just doing these things that we should know better, um, and it's you know it is uh, depressing. Well, that took it. That took a turn I didn't expect. Well, congratulations. Is there any more damage that you could do this morning that you haven't done already? Do you, would you like me to tee anything else up for you that you can? Uh... <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know what the story is. I've usually got like a lighthearted take on something. I know, something. Maybe. I don't know what it is today. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, boy, this is. A yes, off. yeah. I burn the resentment off by morning. Late morning. Well, let now me, it's uh, let me, a full load, apparently. Here's an email. Mac, get Grant's <laughs> ass off the program. He's killing me. For God's sakes, throw us a bone. <laughs> it, uh, oh, my goodness. The, um, the, the Bismarck, the, the German fellow, um, yes. and the ship, he, he is said to have said, uh, what God uh, gives special treatment, what was it, drunks, pregnant women, and the United States of America. So it's like anything that we, you know, we can be as dumb as we want, but somehow we get a, we get more breaks than we deserve. So we may have one that's coming. And, uh, you know, you say the, the game's not over. Um, and it is easy to sort of talk yourself into despair, um, particularly if you've watched this play out over a few decades. Um, but you say it's not over. And, you know, these, there's, you know, we've had bigger problems uh, I think facing the country before, um, but uh, so maybe that's sort of that. Maybe there is a sort of a ray of light somewhere on the horizon. Um, but I think we do have some some things to deal with right now. The um, this just in a source in the Biden administration says he will withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th effectively winding down the conflict 20 years after it began, according to officials. Um, nothing like letting the Taliban know, right? All right, boys, all negotiations will be suspended until September 12th, and then we'll be back. All right? So, congratulations. All right, Grant, uh, what's the next thing you're going to write? I don't, I'm trying to write something about the how to, how to be an history. How to be an optimist in a world that's falling apart? Yeah, something like that. Something. They, uh, self-help book. Yeah, some the, kind of um, self-improvement piece, I think, would yeah. be in order after mm-hmm. all the fucking damage you've done today. Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, I'm trying to write something about uh, Prime Minister Suga, the Japanese oh. Prime Minister's visit to Washington uh, this week. But I'm having trouble like making it interesting. Um, so I'm hoping some ideas sort of shake loose. Uh, but that's the, the next thing I've got in mind. And then something on Taiwan after that. 
Hmm. All right. Well, Grant, tell everybody where they can find what you're doing. Oh, it's usually like uh, and mag and magazine A and D magazine uh, or Asia Times. Uh, some those are usually the places to find me. Um, and then there's a few odds and ends. But if you just type my name into the internet, you'll find all sorts of brilliance. Um, and most of it's cheerful too. Now, I always try to be constructive, <laughs> but somehow I get onto All Marine Radio, and uh, I forget to be constructive. Well, but, oh, now you're playing the victim card. Nice. Yeah, it's George Bush's fault. And now Trump's fault. I forget. Yeah. You know, hey, there's always a friendly target there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I um, I noticed that the, the O's got off to a pretty good start this year. Yeah, the battling yeah. O's. What are they? Uh, what's yeah. their record right now? Any idea? No, oh, I, I haven't checked today. But they, you know, they've won a few, which is pretty good. Hold on. I will, uh, I'll check and, uh, to see where they actually are to see if you're, you're giving us fake news. Uh, Baltimore is four and five. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. By, yes, by senator standards and even by Orioles standards is excellent. Yeah, and then the uh, the Washington Nationals are two and five, so they're better than the world champions. Well, that sounds about right to me. Washington <laughs> two and five. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm used to it. I have Sixty years to be sensitized to that idea, so it doesn't bother me. Got it. Got it. All right. Thank you very much, Grant. Uh, stay safe and uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you here in a little bit. Sure, pleasure. Okay, thanks very much. You bet. <laughs> that is the one and only Grant Newsham here, right? Our resident pessimist or realist, but it's just bad news that we don't like to entertain. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the the thing that befuddle I find most befuddling about the um, – about all of our involvement and all the things we say is the audio and the video, they don't match. So you you say that this is the most important theater, but you don't, um, but you don't do anything economically that would open doors and bring those nations closer to you. Help me. Help me understand how the fuck you think this works, Right? Because I don't. I don't get it. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, to me, the United States is, is destined to become, right, a second-rate power on the planet. China will take over. Wall Street will finance it. And by the time we get our heads out of our ass, it will be too late. Our allies will vacillate, partly because we vacillate. And, and a, total, a totalitarian power will become ascendant. On the planet for the first time in the world's history. That ought to scare the shit out of everybody. So, on that note, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And if I can help you do that, then uh, let me know. So, on this Tuesday, the 13th day of April, I'm out. <laughs>